Hey everybody! You are listening to the Creative Biolabs podcast, the show that introduces the basics about stem cells and their broad applications. Please contact us if you have any questions or suggestions. And don't forget to subscribe to follow the latest updates. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Connie. Thank you for joining us today. Our guest for this episode is Dr. Benjamin Smith, a journal editor specializing in the field of immunotherapy. Welcome, Dr. Smith, and thank you for being here. It's a pleasure to meet you, Connie, and I appreciate the opportunity to be part of this. Thank you once again for joining us. In recent episodes, we've delved into various topics related to stem cells, particularly focusing on endothelial cells and their progenitors, which can be cultivated through embryonic stem cell differentiation cultures. We've also explored an array of molecules involved in angiogenesis and their roles in different contexts, including embryonic vascular development. Today, we're shifting our focus to understanding cell lineages and stem cells within the context of the embryonic kidney. Dr. Smith, where should we begin our discussion? To provide some context, developmental biology aims to unravel the genetics, biochemistry, and three-dimensional patterning underlying cell growth, differentiation, and complex organism formation. Understanding the principles of development is crucial for gaining insights into disease progression and regeneration. One area of particular interest is the relationship between embryonic kidneys and pluripotent kidney stem cells, as well as how they differentiate to eventually form mature kidneys. However, identifying renal embryonic stem cells has been a challenging task. Kidney development involves a lengthy and sequential anterior to posterior transition partly reflecting the organ's evolutionary history. To find answers to when cells destined to become kidney cells arise and when their developmental potential becomes limited, we need to explore the early morphogenesis of the urogenital system. Could you elaborate on renal patterning and its significance? Certainly. To understand renal patterning and the origins of renal progenitors, we must begin with gastrulation. In vertebrates, gastrulation transforms a single pluripotent sheet of embryonic tissue into endoderm, mesoderm, and ectoderm. In mammals, the primitive streak is a crucial marker of gastrulation, extending from the posterior pole of the epiblast. At the anterior end of the primitive streak lies the node or organizer, a signaling center expressing potent secreted factors that establish body axes and left-right asymmetry. The node is situated at the midpoint of the epiblast's anterior pole. As the primitive streak regresses back to the posterior pole, it gives rise to the notochord, located ventrally to the neural plate. The notochord is another critical signaling center. The axial mesoderm comprises the most medial mesodermal cells, which segment into somites with the regression of the streak. The somites border the notochord on either side while the lateral plate mesoderm forms from the posterior epiblast. This region between the somite and the lateral plate, known as the intermediate mesoderm, is precisely where the first renal epithelial tube emerges. That's a comprehensive explanation of the process. Can you continue with the development of the kidney? Of course. The earliest morphological indication of distinct intermediate mesoderm derivatives is the formation of the pronephric duct or primary nephric duct. 
In birds and mammals, this single-cell thick epithelial tube extends bilaterally from approximately the 12th somite. As the nephric duct elongates caudally, it induces the development of a linear array of epithelial tubules. These tubules extend medioventrally and are believed to originate from the paraductal mesenchyme. Depending on their position and level of development, these tubules are referred to as pronephric or mesonephric. This system represents a more primitive excretory system in evolutionary terms. In mammals, it exists transiently before being replaced by the adult or metanephric kidney. The development of renal tubules along the nephric duct follows a gradient, with the most anterior or pronephric tubules being relatively underdeveloped, while the mesonephric tubules become highly developed, featuring glomeruli and structures resembling proximal convoluted tubules. Your explanation clarifies the developmental differences in the embryonic kidney among various species. Could you please continue and explain at what stage the adult kidney is formed? Certainly. The formation of the adult kidney, known as the metanephros, begins with the outgrowth of the ureteric bud or metanephric diverticulum into the surrounding metanephric mesenchyme. This process takes place at the caudal end of the nephric duct. The outgrowth and budding of the epithelia are driven by signals from the mesenchyme. Several key molecules, including transmembrane tyrosine kinase and the secreted neurotrophin glial-derived neurotrophic factor, play critical roles in this process. Transmembrane tyrosine kinase is expressed in the nephric duct, while glial-derived neurotrophic factor is expressed in the metanephric mesenchyme. Once the ureteric bud invades the metanephric mesenchyme, the mesenchyme undergoes conversion into epithelium. So, during this continuous conversion of metanephric mesenchyme to renal epithelia, what significant events take place? As the induced mesenchymal cells condense, they form an early polarized epithelium known as the renal vesicle. This renal vesicle initially appears as a comma-shaped structure and later transforms into an S-shaped body through a series of cleft formations. The most distal end of the S-shaped body remains connected to the ureteric bud epithelium, ultimately fusing to create a continuous epithelial tubule. At the proximal end of the S-shaped tubule, specific genes are expressed, marking the development of glomerular podocyte cells. Simultaneously, as the vasculature of the glomerular tuft forms, endothelial cells infiltrate the most proximal cleft of the S-shaped body. This stage of development involves the differentiation of the glomerular epithelium into visceral and parietal components. The visceral cells eventually become podocytes, while the parietal cells form the epithelial lining surrounding the urinary space. Additionally, mesangial cells, a specialized type of smooth muscle cell, and capillary endothelial cells together make up the capillary tufts within the glomerulus. This is a fascinating sequence of events. Do these renal vesicles contribute to the formation of nephrons? Absolutely. The renal vesicles indeed play a crucial role in nephron formation. They are the source of much of the epithelium within the nephrons. Following the initial formation of the renal vesicle, it goes through several stages of development, eventually forming a continuous epithelial tubule. This tubule constitutes the basis of nephron structure. What happens after the formation of the renal vesicle and nephron? 
After the renal vesicle forms, the ureteric bud epithelia continue their branching morphogenesis in response to signals from the mesenchyme. This branching process follows a stereotypical pattern and leads to the induction of new mesenchymal aggregates at the tips of the branches. As a result, new nephrons are sequentially induced along the radial axis of the kidney. This repeated branching and induction pattern contributes to the formation of nephrons, with the older nephrons positioned closer to the medulla and the younger ones at the periphery. However, it's important to note that not all mesenchymal cells are induced and converted into epithelia. Some mesenchymal cells remain in a mesenchymal state and migrate into the interstitium. These interstitial mesenchymal or stromal cells play a role in maintaining the branching morphogenesis of the ureteric bud and supporting the survival of mesenchymal cells. The complexity of these processes is astounding. Can you identify the stem cells responsible for kidney development? From a stem cell perspective, identifying the cell population responsible for kidney development depends on the specific developmental stage. During the induction of the metanephric mesenchyme, at least two primary cell types are distinguishable, the mesenchyme and the ureteric bud epithelia. While these cells have some common markers and share a region of origin, they are phenotypically distinct. As development progresses, the majority of nephron epithelium is believed to originate from the metanephric mesenchyme, while the branching ureteric bud epithelium gives rise to collecting ducts and the most distal tubules. Is this perspective widely accepted, or are there alternative views? This perspective has faced challenges, particularly from in vitro cell lineage tracing methods that have demonstrated some plasticity at the tips of the ureteric bud epithelium. These studies have shown that epithelial cells can convert to mesenchyme upon induction, indicating a degree of flexibility in the differentiation process. Consequently, Mesenchymal aggregates can convert back into epithelia. This finding has raised questions about the precise roles and plasticity of these cell populations and suggests that further exploration is needed to understand the potential of renal stem cells. Indeed, the identity of renal stem cells remains uncertain. What are some of the significant research findings in this regard? As our understanding of development and lineage specification continues to advance, the question of renal stem cells is gaining increased attention. Ideally, renal stem cells should possess the ability to self-renew and generate all cell types found in the kidney. While in vitro data appear promising regarding the existence of such cells, their existence in vivo still requires confirmation. In essence, the notion is that all kidney cells could potentially originate from a single population of stem cells. However, several unanswered questions persist. Even at the earliest stage of kidney development, two distinct cell types can be identified and the induction of early endothelial precursors results in a third distinct cell type. All three early cell types may potentially derive from the metanephric mesenchyme suggesting the existence of a single stem cell population that proliferates as development progresses. Evidence also suggests a shared origin for stroma and epithelia, while endothelial cells and their potential smooth muscle derivatives constitute a separate lineage. For renal tissue repair, the epithelial lineage is most relevant, despite the subdivision of three distinct lineages within the metanephric mesenchyme. 
if we consider the possibility of an epithelial stem cell, what criteria should be used for selection? Selection criteria for identifying epithelial stem cells should include the following points. First, these cells are likely to be derivatives of intermediate mesoderms. Second, they should express a combination of metanephric mesenchyme-specific markers. And third, they should demonstrate the capability to contribute to all epithelial components of the nephron, both in vitro and in vivo. How do cells from the mesoderm differ from embryonic stem cells? Culturing cells from the intermediate mesoderm indefinitely without additional transformation or immortalization seems challenging. In most cases, even mouse embryonic fibroblasts have a limited number of cell divisions. This issue is also observed in vivo, as the metanephric mesenchyme is essentially quiescent at embryonic day 11 and does not proliferate without induction. While growth conditions mimicking induction may promote mesenchymal cell proliferation, they may also suppress their differentiation into epithelium. Alternatively, combinations of growth and patterning factors could potentially differentiate embryonic stem cells into intermediate mesoderm cells. How can it be determined whether metanephric mesenchymal cells can proliferate in vitro? If metanephric mesenchymal cells are capable of proliferating in vitro, they would express specific markers, including PAX2, LIM1, WT1, GDNF62, and FOXD1. The expression of these markers would suggest that mesenchymal cells have not committed to either the stromal or epithelial lineages. Cells expressing PAX2, WT1, and WN4, but not FOXD1, could potentially represent epithelial stem cells. When these cells are injected into an in vitro cultured metanephric kidney, they should have the capacity to generate all epithelial cells along the proximal distal axis of the nephron. Such epithelial stem cells could hold significant promise for regenerating damaged tubules in cases of acute and chronic renal injury. The complexity of kidney development is truly remarkable, and it presents challenges in advancing tissue and cell based therapies. Nonetheless, Ongoing research efforts aim to find improved treatments for kidney disease. Thank you for sharing your insights today. I believe we'll conclude here, and I wish you a wonderful day. Thank you very much. Same for you.